Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14 this evening. I don't know if you remember this or not, but as I was preparing for this message tonight, I thought about something that I haven't thought about in a long time. And it was a children's program that I must have watched as a very young child. And again, I haven't thought about it for years, but, and I don't remember the name of the lady, but I did, I looked it up and, and I watched the scene that I had so vividly remembered. And the program was called Romper Room. Romper Room. How many of you remember Romper Room? How many of you say, that sounds like my dorm room this last year? Okay, so, so Romper Room was a, uh, a children's show and it always concluded the same way. The host, the, the lady that hosted the show, she would be there and there would be several children all around her and then she would pick up her magic mirror. And I do recall as a child thinking, how wonderful is this mirror? Because she would pick up the mirror and, and there was some, some glittery cover on this mirror, but as she would hold it up to her face, something on the screen would happen and this swirling you know, graphic would come up and then, and then it would fade back into her and the, the mirror would be clear. And then she would say, and I see, and then she would start mentioning names. And she would say, and Susie had a good day yesterday and Billy is having a good day today and I see, and if she ever said, and I see Jeffrey, and here I am like, whoa, I'm sitting still, you know, because through her magic mirror, she can see. All the boys and all the girls, I just thought this is quite an incredible invention. I started to think about the children that are here tonight. And then this last week, I heard a testimony, really just a few days ago, from a member of Campus Church that it's not a magic mirror testimony, but somebody saw her. And then the numbers of children that are involved in master clubs on a weekly basis, people that actually see them as a person, not, not just a age bracket, not just a group, not just a we have to move them from point A to point B, not just we have to get through the curriculum, not just we have to play the game, but through some kind of for lack of a better term, magic mirror, they actually see people. The testimony I heard is one that, that Lord willing, at some point in the future, you'll be able to, to hear. It was one of those wonderful stories. And everybody has one, a story, and it's yours. And the one that Julie and I heard this last week was, was hers. And as a young child at a neighborhood Bible club, someone saw her. And the home, the situation, the life, we would all call those tragic. But someone, through the, the wonderful mirror of, of need, and through the lens of, of the commission, and through eyes that go far beyond just what we see externally, someone was seen and their life, quite frankly, is a, is a picture, a story of all along the way in such God-like fashion, 
people seeing them. And children, you know, and people are, are visible to the eyes that are looking. Your Bibles are open right now to Luke chapter 14. We're going we're gonna to summarize some of these early sections of the passage. In fact, in, in verses 1 through 6, you have Jesus who is having a meal in the home of an important person. And the Pharisees of the day, obviously, they're regarded as the elite, the most important. And so the first thing that you see taking place here, and again, these are just summary statements, but they were looking for an opportunity for fault-finding. They, they were looking for another means by which they could find some fault in Jesus. Isn't it wonderful that after Jesus is tried on so many different levels and in front of so many different courts, the concluding statement is, I find no fault in him. And the Pharisees, of course, were looking for some opportunity to find fault with Jesus and there was none that could be found. They, they set him up, so to speak. There was a man who was sick and, and uh, conveniently. Now, this man would have never been placed in a meal in a Pharisee's home, but conveniently there is a man who is ill and he's brought in front of Jesus. So now the question that Jesus goes straight to the question, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And no one would answer the question. They fell silent. They, they gave the look of, whoa, 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 whoa we, we couldn't answer that question. And so now Jesus goes and he heals the man on the Sabbath as if this was something he'd never done before. If you think about the, the so to speak, pharisaical rules that Jesus broke, I mean, he cast out a demon on the Sabbath. He healed a fever on the Sabbath. He allowed the disciples to pluck grain on the Sabbath. Healed a lame man. He healed a man with a paralyzed hand. He delivered a crippled woman who was afflicted by a demon. He healed a man born blind, all on the Sabbath. In, in ways that were not customary, in ways that, that made so many people incredibly uncomfortable, disciples included. So Jesus is doing that which is unorthodox. He is, is doing that which is consistent with himself, but not in the way that everyone anticipated it should have been done. So that's really where the passage begins. And then you go to feasting and you, you just keep going to these, these major um, um, moments where Jesus is addressing some very significant things. The feasting was, he said, hey, listen, when you're going to a feast, you're, you're trying to push and shove your way up to the prominent seats. We, we have by our nature a, a, a desire to be seen, don't we? I mean, we do. We, we try to push and, and claw our way to places of visibility and to demonstrate our own importance. And Jesus said, when, when you're doing this, you're, you're actually putting yourself in a place where, where your insignificance can be seen. You could actually be asked to move to a lesser place. He said, when you go to these, instead of pushing your way to the front, he says, take the lesser seat and, and allow yourself to be told, no, 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 not there. You, you come up here. And so he does that in this next section. And then Kind of following that same trail, that same thread, he's, he addresses the matter of favoritism in verses 12 through 14. They start to get to this place where, where they're saying, hey, let's, let's give that person a really good spot at our table. 
But he said the only reason you're doing that is because you're hoping that they're going to give a good spot at the table to you. He said, why not give someone a good spot at the table that can't do anything in return for you? So Jesus is addressing some some major natural human deficiencies. And then we get to the the core of, of our passage this evening. And look with me, if you will, starting in verse number 16. Then said he unto him, and this is kind of typical Luke fashion as he introduces a a parable. He says, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. We might note that that reasons are specific causes, but excuses are what we might say simply inexcusable. And what was mentioned here are inexcusable reasons to not respond to the invitation of the master. So look at a couple things that that we might note about this invitation in the supper. The first thing you see again in verse number 16 is the greatness of this supper. And then said he unto them, a certain man made a, and there it is, a great supper and bade many. Well, we understand what this is addressing. This is addressing some picture uh, regarding the invitation of the gospel. There was a man and he had this great supper and he bade many to come and have a place at his table. Well, what an incredible invitation. This is a great man. He has a great supper and he has invited you to come and to dine at this great meal. You know, what do we do when we start to understand what is it that he's talking about here? Well, there's two things that we could look at. Let's take a moment and consider the servant that is instructed to go out and do the inviting. So he says to his servant, hey, here's an invitation for you. Go invite others to the meal. I wonder... Now, he does go and he starts to check off those that are on the, the, the guest list, so to speak. In Jesus' day, there was really a twofold aspect. There was kind of like the initial invitation, and that would be the RSVP. So the first time that this servant goes out, he's just saying, hey, can you come? We'll let you know about the specific time later. Isn't it interesting that even though they didn't know the specific time of the meal, they declined to RSVP. This helps us understand this is nothing other or nothing less than an excuse. But the servant is going and the servant is doing what the master has commanded him to do. And that really is where where you and I might identify first tonight. The servant that is told by the master to go out and do the inviting. To come and find a place at the master's table. Now, we can't do anything about the response of those invited, but we can certainly do the work of the master who's told us to do the inviting. I wonder if you're looking through 
You know, that, that magic mirror, and there are actually real people connected to the other side. Now, don't raise your hand, but do ask the question of yourself right now. Do you have any kind of, I don't know, prayer list that says, Lord, I am praying for this person and this person and this person? Do you have any names attached to the master said to the servant, go and invite? Now, I don't think our invitations should be limited to those that we have on our list. But I do think it is important for us to start somewhere. There are few here in this room and few I suspect that are watching that wouldn't understand we have a commission and we are about, as a church ministry, the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then upon whose shoulders does that command, that commission rest? Does it rest primarily upon the the men that are seated on this platform? Is it their job to say, let's go do the inviting? Well, clearly it is their responsibility. But is it, is it limited? Is it isolated to them? Or does it go beyond that? Does it go to those that are in leadership positions? Those who would serve as deacons at campus church? Does it, does it rest on their shoulders? And again, we would say a hearty amen. Yes, it does rest on their shoulders. But, but let's ask it this way. Upon whose shoulders does it not rest? That's a good question. So, so who is it that you have in the sights of your magic mirror that you are saying, Lord, Would you help me to see them find their place at the table? When's the last time you prayed and just simply said, Lord, would you give me opportunity to share the good news? Just give me opportunity. Do you know, I find it interesting that the Lord is eager to answer prayers that we know his answer to already. Did you ever ask someone something that you knew they were going to, you knew how they were going to answer before you ever asked the question? You know, grandma, can I have a piece of candy? I mean, you know the answer to that question. There are certain things that we know, Lord, do you want me to share the gospel? Lord, would you provide an opportunity for me to tell someone else about their seat at, at your supper? You see, I get so nervous about doing that. I get so, listen, I know there are so many means by which the gospel can be shared. So many ways to accomplish this. You see, I'm just, I I get so nervous when I do that or I don't know how to start the conversation or, do you know a great way to start conversations is just to ask questions. Questions we oftentimes are reminded stir the conscience. And so when we start to ask questions, we we start having conversation. When we're listening to answers, more than just to get to the next question, but to learn who this person is. And and, and sometimes we have only these one opportunities to share the gospel. Sometimes it's no more than just leaving a gospel track, some kind of a gospel witness. Sometimes it's asking a question. Sometimes it's saying, hey, listen, is there anything I can do for you? Anything I can pray for you about? There are so many opportunities just on those one and dones. 
And then many times, so often the Lord uses relationships that we've just naturally started to have to see people come to their place at the table, a relationship. You know, I think we should be kind to people for, for reasons that help us understand their image bearers. So we should be kind to people. Sometimes I think we, we at times say, well, I have to be kind to them because I want to share the gospel with them. Well, why wouldn't we want to do that? Because they're, they're fellow image bearers. They're created in his likeness and they, they were given an eternal soul. So certainly we would want to do that. We'd want to share the gospel. But, but, but start being interested in people because they're people. And we start to develop relationships. You say, I know, but do you know that, that they drink? Or they, they've, they, they're in a relationship that's really bad right now. Or do you know, if I started to use some words in the Bible about what they're involved in, oh, it is, it, the, these are words that we don't even like to talk about. These are what these people are doing. Isn't it interesting that, that when Jesus meets, like he takes this out of the way trip to talk to the woman at the well. And this is a woman that was married five times and the the person that she's with at the time is not even her husband and and Jesus says there is a seat at the table for you aren't you thankful there's a seat at the table for you and and there are still yet many seats at that table so we start to develop relationships that sometimes make us feel awkward uncomfortable these are, these are out of our sphere of, of comfort, out of the, the normal range of our interactions. But we start picking something up and we look through and we see, I see, I see an eternal soul who's going to live somewhere forever. And they have a name and they have a story. Have you ever, have you ever dared to have conversation with someone that is rather frightening to you? They're just rather frightening. I mean, they, they, their, their appearance says that they are trying to communicate a whole nother culture. Have you ever had a conversation with a person that just by their very appearance makes you feel uncomfortable and you found that they were not so scary after you started to actually talk and you started to, to interact and there, there are people that, that converse on a level that sometimes we find rather shocking in pleasant ways. Or sometimes the people that are trying to be shocking and you get past the shock and awe and you find that they are actually not so different after all. You know, the, the thing that we start out with here is there is a great supper prepared. And, and the invitation is made to all who will receive. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus tells someone that he had done wonderful things for he brought them back to reality from the possession of those who had such control. And he says, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Do you know, really, he didn't say, now make sure you have the Romans road marked in your Bible before you start talking to your friends. He said, listen, just in normal conversation, let people know what great things the Lord hath done for you. That is a wonderful way to open the door to the gospel. That is a neighbor. So, um, so what are you doing this weekend? Well, I'm going to church. You guys have a church you go to? 
No, why do you go to, what's the deal? What, what's the deal with church? You know, I have grown to understand that there is a God who is in control of this world. I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but, but church gives me an opportunity to know him and, and to, to, I don't know, rub shoulders with people who want to know him more. I don't know if you have a church, but man, I'm telling you, I'd certainly love someday to introduce you to mine. These are just normal kind of conversations. And you can have these conversations because this is what Jesus told them to do. Hey, go home and just tell your friends what great things the Lord hath done for you. Do you know, you're going to find things and you've done this and we do this. We find things in our own scripture reading that's like, Lord, that was just for me. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have shared a verse with someone else because you couldn't help it, because you read it that day and that day? I mean, that verse fit the circumstances of that day. And in conversation, you're just saying, do you know, I read this morning. Do you know, we can have those conversations with people that we just start getting to know. You know, it's really something. I, I have had this happen so many times Do you know this morning, I was reading from a letter that that God sent to mankind. And do you know what he said? Let me me show you. Let me me pull it out. Because I got to look it up. Hang on just a second. And and then you pull out your phone and you go to the Bible that's on your phone. Because you're probably not carrying your Bible with you to to Publix or whatever. And, And so you just start going and, hey, I had a major event just take place here. I don't know if you heard this or not, but this will also be on live stream. I just had a button fall off from my coat, and you all were witnesses. So I'm not going to button my coat for the rest of the sermon, okay? All right, that, that had little to do with what we were talking about, but I heard this little knock on the floor, and I'm like, who's down there? It's my button, okay? Okay, so anyways, we're talking about the greatness of the supper, not the, 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 the quality of my jacket. So let's move on a little bit further past that. Let's go down to verse number 17. First thing we see, the greatness of the supper. Look at the second thing, the greatness of the preparation. And send his servant at supper time to say unto them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. Now remember, Jesus is using this in... in some picture form for us. I think that this is actually looking forward to the time when Jesus is going to say, it is finished. When he's going to say, there is nothing else that need be done. Every detail has been accomplished. All the little boxes have been checked. Every T crossed, every I dotted. It is finished. Okay, all of us have been to someone's home before where they were preparing a meal and we said something like, what can I do to help? And what's the answer that so oftentimes you hear? Oh, absolutely nothing. You just sit back, there's nothing you can do. And sometimes, I mean, we're finished with a meal and we say, hey, let me help. No, 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 I wouldn't think of it, no, no. Um, they say that to guests. Now, they don't usually say that to family, but they, they say, they, no, there's n- no, there's nothing you can do. Do you know when you think about this, the greatness of the preparation, all things are now ready. In Isaiah chapter 55, there's another beautiful prophetic look towards Christ and what he offers. 
And he says, ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye and buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money, without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. An everlasting covenant? Water? Those that have no resources? I, I, listen, I'd like to have that, but I don't have the ability to purchase it. What is this in reference to? This is in reference to that which Jesus is inviting people to come to. Hey, listen, come. There is a meal prepared and, and the expense is on my part, not on the part of my guest. This is the greatness of the preparation. It is truly remarkable all that has been done to bring us a seat at the table. But let's finish this out with the, the last of what we're looking at in this passage. And that is the greatness of the invitation. The greatness of the invitation. Now, the people in the home of the Pharisees, again, would have expected for themselves to be there. Okay, we're here because we're Jews and Jews have meals with Jews. The people that we oftentimes find ourselves rubbing shoulders with are the people we would expect to rub shoulders with. But Jesus starts to take us to a place where I think even the servant that he bids to go do this inviting is a little taken back by. He's a little like, oh, okay, so did he just tell me to? And, and he, maybe he asked, did he, did he just tell me to? Yeah, that's exactly what he told you to do. They made excuse, you know, the first, I've, I bought a piece of ground. Um, I'm going to have to work. That's some focus on the future. I'm gonna, I've got a lot of work to do. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. Well, that's really like five yoke of oxen. This is a money-making machine. So they're, they're his focus probably on finance. You know, another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come focus on family. Are any of these things wrong? You know, were any of these things like, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. That's wrong for you to have a piece of ground. It's wrong for you to have oxen. It's wrong for you to, none of those things are wrong. But the focus now becomes wrong. The focus on the lesser thing as opposed to an understanding of the greater thing is what Jesus is going to have to address. And it kept them from enjoying the greatest thing. Billy Sunday wants to find an excuse as the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. In verse number 21, we see the preoccupation with distractions brings anger on the part of the master. And so the servant that came and showed his Lord these things, then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. Now pause for just a moment. Go out into the streets. Now let's just ask the question, what would we expect to find there? Now go out into the streets. Well, what do we expect to find there? This is, this is the breadth of this invitation. He says, okay, go out into the streets and in the lanes of the city and bring in hither. Who, who are we bringing? The poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind? 
And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. Yes, Lord, that's what we're doing. And then the word comes, and yet, because this supper is so great, the preparations are so great, the master is so great, and yet there is room. We've done, we're doing exactly what you have commanded us to do. Uh, But master, we want you to know there's still room. And the Lord said unto his servants, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That my house may be filled. Now we know he's talking about that, that in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. We know what house he's talking about. But isn't it interesting, if you'll allow a little stretch to that statement, isn't it interesting that today we commonly, our culture understands something about the house of God. We understand something about it, even today. If you ask the the common man on the street, hey, when's the last time you've been to the house of God? Oh, well, I used to go as a kid. Can we understand that to be church today? Church is not synonymous with the house that he's speaking of or the table where that supper is served. But it is a place. It's a place ordained and, and provisioned continually used by God it's it's a way it's just it's another way to have people come to find that for them in the midst of a people who are the visible body of Jesus Christ on earth that's the church the people come in and they actually see like wow I sense Jesus Christ in this place. And that shouldn't be uncommon. That that should be really normal because because we're his body and he is our head. And so when we start to just invite people into this, this house, so to speak, this place where where his people gather and they start to sense there is something distinctly different about this place. Ye shall know them by their love. And now there is something that's actually contagious about the house of God. That these people interact with one another as if they, they really care about each other. They like being together. They're family. Oh, I know there's some quirks in the family. And, and there's some oddities and strange things. And, and we're each part of that unique aspect of the family. But wow, in the midst of all that, this, this place, there's something about this that, that seems heavenly to me. He says, listen, go, go out wherever you can. He's really, he's leaving no place uh, uh, off, off limits. He's just saying, listen, okay, um, uh, go out into the, the, the streets. Go to the lanes of the city. Done, done. We're doing that, we're doing that. And then, okay, still have room. Go out into the highways, the hedges. Listen, go to the, the uttermost parts and compel them. Listen, there, there's a place you, you need to come. And there's somebody you have to meet. My great master has prepared a meal and he's invited you to sit down at it. And I'm telling you, 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 will, you will drink of water 
which will quench your thirst. You will dine of that that is available in no other place. You know, the, the magic mirror that I saw when I was a little kid, it did intrigue me. And, and as I was just thinking about names and people and names on my own prayer list, people that I'm praying for personally about their salvation, I just started to think about names and seeing people. Maybe you have some names already. And, and maybe there are some nameless faces that come to mind. But might we see people through the lens of the word of God? And might we, in our own understanding of, of our responsibility as the servant, might we say, Lord, put, put some names, a name. Maybe tonight, before you go to bed, maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, who is it that you have burdened me and positioned me uniquely in ways that other people may not have that, that opportunity? You've positioned me uniquely to be able to make that invitation to come and have a seat at that wonderful supper table. You know, you, you have a seat at that table through the gospel. Isn't that good news? May the Lord use us at Campus Church, not only to send out missionaries who are carrying that light, but may he send us out as lights into a dark world. May we see people, names, and empty seats ready to be filled.